continuing this morning with our series called The Tale of Ten Cities, looking at Paul's first missionary journey as recorded in the book of Acts and the ten cities that he and his team visited. My name is uh, Richard, and I'm part of the leadership team here at Church on Trail. Thank you for being here. And uh, our talk today centers around what was the very first missions trip that was ever taken in the history of Christianity. Now, in the chapters of the book of Acts leading up to today's passage, there were different times that some of Christ's followers uh, ended up doing some traveling and sharing the gospel story as they went. But today we're going to look at the very first time that there was a strategic, planned out trip to a certain place where we find two of the uh, main leaders of the early church, Barnabas and a guy named Saul, also named, known as Paul, and they go on a mission trip. And it is the first missionary journey, and the world got turned upside down. It was no, never, never, never the same after that. They go to a the beautiful island uh, of uh, Cyprus in the Mediterranean Sea. And they, that's just the beginning of this, of this first, first missionary journey. So we're going to look at a block of verses in Acts chapter 13 that tells the story of the beginning of this missionary journey. The first cities that they go to. All right, you guys ready? We're going to look at verse 4. It'll be on your screen. Or on your device or, or in your Bible, look up for Acts chapter 13, verse 4. But let's look, starting in verse 4. It says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. They traveled from, uh, from where they were, their uh, church in Antioch. They traveled to a port city and then sailed the island of Cyprus. Now, the reason I want to just take a moment and look at the wording in this verse. It says, and being sent. And being sent by the Holy Spirit. These two men, they had at least, uh, th that's Barnabas and Saul, also known as Paul. And they had at least one traveling companion. We'll hear about him here in just a moment. And they were sent by the Holy Spirit starting off to the island of Cyprus. So, the title for our little talk today is The Sent Ones. The Sent Ones. I propose that what we see in the story that we're going to read today is an example of what happens or, or what things that can and do play out in the lives of Christ followers as we are sent by the Holy Spirit into the different environments and into the different places and spaces that we find our life playing out. The sent ones is the name of our, our, of our message. And my pitch today, I propose today, there's not just Barnabas and Saul slash Paul that are the sent ones. It's not just the people, that, the heroes that we read about in the pages of the New Testament that are the sent ones, sent on mission 
to share this story. I propose that I'm looking at a room full of sent ones. I am looking at people who are sent by God into the world to share the story. When I was in my 20s, which was just decades ago, I mean, <laughs> painfully. So I, when I was in my 20s, I lived in Pensacola. I was going to Bible college. I had a friend. Uh, actually, had a few friends because, you know, I'm not a loser. And so I had, I had a few friends, but one of them was named Bill. And Bill was from New Orleans. And uh, Bill had this cool Cajun accent that I couldn't uh, impersonate or replicate. But Bill had a nickname, and his nickname was Boof. Boof. I have no idea. I never fully understood why his nickname was Boof. But that's what we called him, you know, in the Bible. In, in this story today, just fair warning, just a little side note. Every main character that we look at in this story today goes by more than one name. It is so annoying. But there's reasons for it, and we can talk about it here in a minute. But Bill went by Boof. So one night, we get in Boof's Volvo, and we're going to go down to Pensacola. We're going to go to a music festival, right? There's going to be some concerts. There's going to be some, some food vendors. It was before food trucks. It was dark times back then. But anyway, we were going to go to this festival. And so Boof, you know, he drives us and he parks the car. And I immediately start to think, you know what? I think we're parking in a restricted area. I don't think we're, I don't think this is a good place for us to be. Boof's like, don't worry about it. Come on. So we get out of the car and sure enough, we're seeing barricades and we're behind them. I mean, we, you know, we're not like with the, the general public. And I'm like, dude, I don't know. And, and so I was getting nervous. All of us, there were four of us together, and we were getting nervous. We were going to get in trouble. Bible college students arrested for trespassing, you know, headlines in the newspapers, which were things that used to come out every morning. Uh, that's a long story. So point is, we were, we were nervous. Booth was not. And Booth told us something that was one of his life mottos. And he said, man, no matter where you go, no matter where you're headed, as soon as you sit your foot in the door, walk in like you own the place. And I'm like, okay. That literally, he said, you got to walk in like you own the place. So he said, shoulders back, head up, and give it a little style. And we're so we're walking. We don't know where to go. We don't know how to even get to the stages where the music is going to be. We don't know if we're breaking the law. But we're walking like Booth, like we own the place. Now, later, I was breaking this down with him, and I say, man, help me understand. Now, for the record, it all worked out. We came up on some people wearing staff shirts, and, and we looked so confident that we belonged there. Booth just said, hey, brother, we parked over there. Can you tell us where the uh, food vendors are set up? Because we're just trying to get a bite to eat before the show starts. And they said, absolutely, gentlemen. You just go right down there. And we're like, okay. And we went on about it. But again, I'm breaking this down with Booth later, and I'm like, what is the deal? That seems like somewhat of a risky uh, approach to life. You know, just walk into places as if you belong there. And he said, man, it's not about being arrogant. It's just having confidence. Even if, we, even if I go somewhere and I really don't know where I'm going, I really don't know what to do, I don't act like I got all the answers. I just act like it's okay for me to be there. And I engage the moment. And I walk up. And if somebody busts me and tells me to get out, I say, cool. And I get out. It's no big deal. 
And I thought, wow, that's really cool. Now, there have been many times in my life since then that I've thought about Booth's philosophy of walking in like you own the place. And I have, I've actually done that on occasions and taught my children to do that because that's just solid parenting. <laughs> and none of us have ever done any time for it so far. <laughs> but I've thought about it many times since then and I thought, hmm. To walk into a place with confidence, to walk into a space, so to speak, and believe that I belong there, to believe that I was sent there, that is, my, that is part of my philosophy that I'm, or my belief that I mentioned earlier, that I am looking and, and people are looking at a screen and those are on the other side of that screen, you are sent ones. You are sent as, as Christ's followers. You are sent by the direction of the Holy Spirit into your life and into your spaces and into your relationships because you do belong there. We don't arrogantly stride in somewhere like we own the place. You know how I walk into situations and places and spaces? I walk in like God owns the place. You understand what I'm saying? I walk in saying, my heavenly father owns this place. And I am going to stride in here confidently. I'll ask for help if I need to. I'll get direction. I'm not going to act like I got it figured out, but I'm going to find my, my place. I'm going to find my role. I'm going to find my purpose in this place. I'm going to walk in like God owns the place. We are sent once. You are sent into the environments that you are going to experience this week. It's not by accident. Tuesday afternoon, you're going to be somewhere. Maybe it's where you are every Tuesday afternoon. Maybe not. You're going to be in the week ahead, in the months ahead. You're going to be in spaces. You're going to be at work. You're sent there. It's not by accident. You're not just punching a clock. You're not just doing a task. You are sent there for God's purpose because he, he owns that place. When you're done and you clock out and you go home, you're not just going home to chill and rest so you can go back to work. You are being sent into that house. You are being sent into their relationships. Hey, you got a bad, uh, a, a negative hard, difficult conversation you got to have this week, you are being sent into that conversation. It didn't just fall in your lap. You're not just stuck with it. It's not just you got a bad draw. That's where you're supposed to be. That's where you're being sent. We are sent once. And I want us to read this story and I want us to look at this story and say, God, what does it look like when you take your sent ones and they go into a place and a space and a location and into relationships and into conversations with your story, with the God, with the Jesus story. What does it look like? So what we're going to look at first is verse five to see how this plays out. Let's take a look at verse five. It says, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed, that's the first spot on the island of Cyprus. They proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So this was actually the playbook 
for the, uh, the apostles who went to spread the message of Jesus into other countries, into the neighboring lands. This was the playbook. They ran this play almost every time. They first found a synagogue where devout, believing Jewish people were doing their worship. And they would go in there and they'd start telling them about Jesus. And they'd start telling them the Jesus story. And they'd say, the Messiah that is talked about in all our ancient scrolls has come. His name is Jesus. He came to the earth just like it was prophesied. He died as the scriptures foretold. And he rose from the dead as the scriptures foretold. And there is salvation in no other name. This is the story they told in the synagogue. They started there. And sometimes it was received by some in the synagogue. Sometimes they were roundly dismissed and booted out of the joint. Whatever the case may be, after they hit the synagogue with the message, tried to spread it among the devout Jews, then they just started going out in the community. And they started sharing the story. And they would say things like, Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. They started sharing the story. And that's how the story spread. That's what they did at this first stop. Quick note. Quick note. Pause and, and just the, that last sentence. And they had John to assist them. Here's one of the two named dudes. All right. So you think, John. Oh, I heard about John. He's one of the disciples. You know, his brother James. Uh, you know, tells all the story. Writes all these Bible books. Not that same guy. His name is actually John Mark. Because he was, a, he was a, a southern Jew. He had two names, like Billy Bob. <laughs> or like Billy Joe and Bobby Sue. He had nothing better to do. So he went. No? Thank you. I am a trove of useless, outdated <laughs> cultural references. Just be watching. Because it's coming. But anyway, his name was John Mark. He was not one of the original 12 disciples. He is, however... The guy who ended up writing the gospel of Mark. So now they call him John. They end up calling him just Mark. Make up your mind. Right? Ugh. Anyway. More about John Mark later. Okay? But this is the, the main point is that this is the play that the early Christians used every time they went into a new region. And they told the story. So sent ones tell the story. Sent ones tell the story. All right? So you know what our job is as sent ones? It's to tell the story. To tell the story of Jesus who came to earth just like the ancient prophecies said he would. He lived healing all that were oppressed of the devil, doing good, died in our place, as James was sharing with us during the worship, uh, the song service earlier. And he raised from the dead, just like the scriptures foretold. That's the story. And that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. We need to tell that story. Might feel weird. How do I just in, invade my world and say, what do I, do I just go to a restaurant Jump up on the table and say, I got a message for you people. Well, you could, I suppose. 
It's risky. <laughs> that's a risky approach. But anyway, that's, uh, here's how I think we end up, the, the best way to, to open the door to tell the Jesus story is to tell your story. In your life and in relationships and as you're helping people and as you're serving people, tell your story. Our stories disclose in a general way what life was like, what happened, and what life is like now. And if we tell our stories that way, then we can say, let me tell you what happened to change my life from what it was to what it is now. And that thing that happened was Jesus. It was the Jesus story. It is our task to tell the story. And we should we should, as Paul said in Romans 1, we should never be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God, and it will draw people to salvation. And like Ed loves to say, he said, if Christ followers would preach the gospel, if Christ followers would tell the gospel story, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, and how it's impacted us, if we will tell that story, people will come to faith in Christ, hard stop, It'll work. It just works. The gospel works every time. And some people say, ooh, every time? Because every time I've shared my story, people didn't rush up to me and say, what must I do to be saved? Well, I understand that. But the gospel always works. Because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And for some people who hear the gospel, the unto salvation part takes a little bit of time. It's on a timeline sometimes. I hope not too long. But how many of us heard it more than once before we responded? Amen? The gospel always works. So we should always tell our story and wrap our story in the Jesus story. So that's what sent people do. They tell the story. Let's keep uh, looking and see what happened to Barnabas and Saul Slash Paul. Let's look at uh, verse 6 now. It says, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos. So they went, they covered the entire island. Traveling the whole island of Cyprus. Telling the story. They came upon a certain magician. A Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Weird name. Kind of creepy actually. Whoa, his name was Jesus? Bar slash Jesus? What does that mean? Uh, that is a Hebrew way of saying son of Jesus or son of Jesus is, is the Hebrew name Joshua, which means salvation of the Lord. So this, this guy's name meant son of salvation or son of a savior. That's what his name meant. However, he was a magician and a false prophet, kind of weird, but we'll get back to that here in a second. Okay. Now, verse seven. Next verse. He was, this Bar-Jesus guy, was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Again, two names. God bless him. So Sergius Paulus was a Roman, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and he sought to hear the word of God. Sergius Paulus, we'll call him Serge. Is that okay? You guys all right with it? Serge. So Serge had heard about what was going on on the island because word was spraying fast. Serge happened to be 
even though he was on the opposite end of the island that they first landed on, he happened to be the most highest-ranking Roman official on the whole island. All right, he was called the proconsul, which is a, apparently a, a highfalutin, hoity-toity kind of title. So Serge is a big deal. And this magician guy who is a Jewish, of Jewish descent was kind of like his uh, sidekick, like his uh, right-hand man, which is weird. But again, we'll talk about that in a minute. Now, the reason I wanted to point out them meeting these two guys is because there's another thing that happens to sent ones. Sent ones experience God connections. They experience God connections. Now, if you just pause and look back at your life, I bet that you can think of times when you ended up maybe weren't even, didn't even see it coming. Might not have even been planning on it, but you crossed paths with somebody that ended up being a super important person in your life. Like a game-changing connection that happened. Can you relate to that? And you go, wow, how in the world? It's just, well, by coincidence, or it just so happens that I met this person, and that person sort of had a real impact on the trajectory of my life. Some of us can think of that in negative terms. Some of us can think of it in, in positive terms as it relates to our story. But this God connection that Saul and Barnabas had with this proconsul dude, Serge, was huge. And it ends up being an absolute game changer for them. So I'm telling you, as sent ones... Believe, trust, pray, and seek out God connections. Seek out those connections that might pop up and you didn't even know. You weren't even planning on it. And yet, whoa, that ended up, that ended up being a big deal. That ended up being a huge, making a huge difference in my life and in my story. Be obedient. Stay on task. And the God connections will come. Can you say, uh-huh, if you've had one of those kind of God connections? I'm telling you. And it is just such an awesome thing being led by the Holy Spirit. Because we couldn't even make that stuff up. Or we couldn't make those kind of connections happen. Be obedient. Stay on task. Trust the process. And then see what happens? See what kind of connections take place. Had a weird dream a couple of nights ago. And of course, I'm about to tell you about it. All right. So in this dream, <laughs> this is very strange. I'm try I missed a call from Ed, which I often do. And so I, it is time for me in my dream to call him back. So I go to my recent, you know, my, on my phone and I'm going to punch the button and I'm going to call him back. And for some reason, I punched the wrong button. And I called somebody that I wasn't planning on calling. Does that ever happen to you? You're like, oh, no. You know, I do not want to talk to them. I'm sure that never happens to you. Because you want to talk to everybody, right? Never afraid of anybody in your missed calls list. But this happened to me in my dream. And I'm like, oh. Like in slow motion. Take it back. But it didn't happen. The call went through and I had a conversation with this person. 
And then, as I was doing it, conversation ended up really good. Being a real good conversation, I'm like, okay, cool, great. Got to talk, pray. Oh, I'm glad that happened. All right, let's call Ed back again. Guess what happened in my drink? It happened again. I punched the wrong button. I'm like, what is my problem? There it is. Another conversation I really wasn't planning on having, but it worked out. It was good. The dream goes on. It happens three different times. Every time it happens, my emotional reaction was, dead gummit. I'm trying to call Ed. What is wrong with me? Why does this keep happening? I mean, every time it was just this. You ever have one of those dreams that has vibrant emotions and it kind of messes with you physically and you wake up feeling kind of funky? That's the way it was. It was just like, and yet every time that I called the wrong person in the dream, it ended up being a great conversation, an important conversation. I never in the dream ever called Ed back. Sorry, Ed. Never what? never. But I was sitting there, and then I get in this uh, weird half-asleep, half-awake mode, and I'm laying there. I'm like, Lord, what was that all about? And I really think the Lord was just trying to massage a message into my mind and into my spirit that he was just saying, look, Richard, you got your plans. I know. You got your to-do list. I get it. You got your list of people to talk to and people to see. Awesome. Keep doing it. But trust me. When I want you to have a conversation with somebody, I'm going to make it happen. God connections happen for sent ones. So why don't we uh, erase the uh, angst and just start praying on it every day? You see, every morning your feet hit the floor, you're being sent somewhere. To a space or a place or a conversation. So why don't we just engage it that way and say, Lord, who's... Who's up today? Who do I have to connect with that I can be a blessing, they can be a blessing to me, or we can minister, I can share my story, whatever. God connections happen for sent once. All right, so now let's go on uh, back to, to verse 8. Let's talk about our magician friend, okay? Verse 8. But LMS, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name. If that's the meaning of his name, why don't you just say it the first time? So Elemas. The magician opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul, Serge, away from the faith. So Elemas is a magician. First off, let me say, we're not talking about a magician that does card tricks at parties here, okay? You know, he's not like, hey, pulling a rabbit out of the hat and making the kids cheer. This is actually a magician, and, and in the, the language of the day, we're talking about a sorcerer. This is not a guy who did stuff to entertain people. We're talking, we're talking potions and spells and curses and incantations. Really, he was a sorcerer. That's what he was. He was a bad dude. In a minute, we'll see how Paul talks to him. Saul slash Paul talks to him. And uh, he calls him demonic. So there is a major demonic force operating in, in and around this guy, Elemas, right? And so he is a bad dude, and he is, has great influence over a really important guy. 
the most important Roman on the whole island. It's kind of scary. See, sent ones face opposition. Sent ones face opposition. In fact, I don't know if you can relate to this, but you ever in a situation like, you know, if God is really directing my life, if I'm being directed by the Holy Spirit, and if God is blessing my life, if what I'm doing is honoring and pleasing to God, why is all of this junk coming up against me? Why, why is all this horrible stuff happening? Why am I facing all this opposition? Ever ask that question? Anybody honest? Okay, a couple of us. Thank you. The rest of you. Your arrogance offends me. <laughs> Sorry, I it did, did that, and I just like putting a Liam Neeson quote in every message. No, seriously. I, I think we're, we're learning that um, opposition is often a, a, an indicator. <laughs> an indicator that we're actually on the right track it, it is often the case. Because I think if the enemy uh, of our souls, the devil himself, uh, perceived or was receiving no threat from our lives and our, and our activity, you know, life might be kind of easy for us. It's just a thought. Sent ones face opposition. So let us not be freaked out or scared or bothered by that. Just understand that it's par for the course. And one other I, note before we move on to the next uh, idea. You know, what's the scariest part of this story to me is how easy it is for people to end up in our lives and they may have no business being here in our lives. They might have such a, they might have a, a dark influence in our lives. It, it, we have to be very careful who has our heart and ha who has our ear. Whom and what we entertain in our lives. Wouldn't it be scary if we were just bopping along with our life and we had an opportunity to encounter a God moment but because of the advice or whispers or opinions of some other person we, we pull back from God that's what was about to happen here you had a man a Roman man called an intelligent man so he wasn't stupid he wasn't like, do I think I'll be influenced by a magician today. I mean, this is, this is a guy who has his stuff together. He's running the island. And yet he has allowed somebody in his life who is a snake. And that snake is about to keep him from experiencing God if he listens to this guy. Isn't that scary? Hey, I'm just telling you. Pray about who's in your life. Pray about who has your ear. Let us not let, we, we should not let these voices in, in our ear that will keep us from God. It's, a, it's an important thing. So let's check ourselves. Let's check our world. Let's check our relationships. And, uh, and let's see about that. Because that's kind of, a, kind of a big deal. All right, now. Here's what Paul, Saul slash Paul does about Elymas the magician. Elymas. 
We're going to call him Elemus the magician, and here's why. We'll, we'll talk about this. I'll get to this in a second. It just occurred to me. Just occurred to me that, that uh, Elemus the magician, his name, his Hebrew name was Son of Salvation. I'm telling you, man, just because somebody, just because we think somebody's got it together spiritually, we, we still got to be careful who we give our ear and our heart to. You might think you got a son of salvation in your life, and what you got is a sorcerer named Elymas in your life. So let's be careful. You follow? All right, let's see how Saul, Paul, deals with him. But Saul, who is also called Paul, are enough already with the two names. Now, seriously, though, in this sentence right here, this half sentence, from this point forward, in the Bible record and through human history, he is always referred to as Paul. Saul, his Hebrew name, Paul, his Greco-Roman name. Paul, the apostle. So... Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, Elymas the magician. He looked intently and he said, you son of the devil. Because you can't just read this in a normal voice. Are you with me on this? You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. We don't get to use that word. That's a great word. Villainy. You full of villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That's what the devil was trying to do. He was trying to put roadblocks in the path of this wise, important, powerful Roman man who wanted to hear the gospel. This guy was trying to, trying to twist that path. Verse 11. Next slide, verse 11. It says, and now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, Elymas. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Whoa, whoa. This is like really heavy what just happened. Paul was like, you're full of villainy. And because you're trying to get in the way of the gospel reaching a hungry heart. I, I'm going to speak in the power of God and, and, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That you're about to go blind for a time. Now we apparently we believe that this didn't last forever. Or Saul would have said you'll never see the sun again. But he said for a time you're going to go blind. By the way, it was for an object lesson, but we'll get to that in a minute. He said, listen, you're going to go blind for a time, and then the mist started falling over his eyes before, in just a second, totally dark, and now he's stumbling around, and people have to lead him. Whoa. All right, so sent ones work in the power of God. Sent ones have the power of God at their disposal. And Paul under the direction of the Lord, said, it is time for me to shut this guy up. And that's interesting. I thought, what would we have, wouldn't it have been just, can we make him not be able to speak? I don't know. God, God just put it on Paul's heart, and he said, you're going to go blind, and then it happened. He spoke in the power of God. Now, because we're approaching this and trying to glean what we can learn and apply into our context and into our lives. Am I saying 
that you should move forward in the week ahead, pick out an evil person in your life, and prophesy blindness over them. I would encourage caution in that regard. No, I am not uh, suggesting that. I am, uh, I am seeing that it happened in Scripture. But I'm also seeing and understand that, uh, that sometimes things happen in Scripture that we don't see a lot of times now playing out literally exactly the way they did in Scripture. Some things we do, some things we don't. Why? I don't know. There's lots of people, lots of different opinions about that. But here's what I do believe. I believe that when God needs to do something big, he will do it. If he needs to do something big in our lives like this, he will do it. And when he does, we'll just see what happens. But I think the wise thing for Christian believers to do is to take the teachings of the New Testament, particularly, almost especially, when Paul later starts writing his letter to young Christians, letters that now make up the New Testament. And in these letters are instructions about life and godliness. And some of these letters can, contain important instructions about what we like to refer to as spiritual warfare. Moments where in our lives we encounter the actual power of the devil trying to mess with us. And... There are any number of ways that we could react in those moments when we encounter spiritual opposition. But in one of Paul's instructions about spiritual warfare, he, he gives us a super important reminder. And he says, keep in mind that when we're in a spiritual warfare moment, even though it might seem to be coming from a person, and our solution would be, God, if you could crispy critter this person and just get them out of my life, that would be great. Problem solved. If not, I would settle for blindness like our friend, you know, our magician friend. And we would think that's the solution. But Paul says, please keep in mind in this instruction, he says, we don't wrestle against people. This is a spiritual battle. And with that principle in play, what I pray about, what I pray about, when I encounter, or somebody I care about encounters spiritual warfare. And even if it is centered or revolving around a person or a relationship or a group of people. My primary prayer is, Lord, show the truth. Let the truth come out. Let the truth shine forward like the sun. And let the sun, let the bright light of your truth illuminate the darkness. Let it drive out the darkness. God, when, when, when I, my prayer with fervency and urgency and sometimes with tears for myself and for the people I care about, my prayer is, God, do not let darkness prevail. Do not let darkness prevail. Win this battle, Lord. Call out, call out the deception. Expose the lies. So that your truth can shine forth like the sun. That's what our prayer should be. And if God ever decides to strike somebody blind for a week and a half, so be it. But let's don't count on it. And let's don't equate that with operating in God's power. God's power 
can illuminate darkness. It can expose lies in our own hearts or lies that are influencing people that we care about. And we should pray regularly for his light to break through. Does that make sense? Sent ones operate in God's power. Nothing can stand against the power of our God. Y'all remember singing that a little while ago? Nothing can stand against the battle. Whose battle is it? That's not a rhetorical question. Whose battle is it? It is the Lord's. It is God's battle. This is, this is what we believe. Okay, so moving on, wrapping up, getting close to, uh, getting close to finishing up here. Verse 12, let's read that. It says, then the proconsul, this is Serge, you remember Serge, he believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So when your boy Elymas, the magician, goes blind and starts groping around, proconsul goes, whoa. It says he believed the power of God shone forth, helped him believe. I love the second half of the verse too. You notice? Proconsul didn't, Serge didn't just go, whoa, sign me up for the Jesus thing. Because the guy went blind. Boom, all I needed to see. It, I love the second half. It says he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. It was the story. It was the gospel. It was the teaching of the ancient texts and showing how Jesus fulfilled them. It was that animated by this wild thing that he just saw happen that turned his heart. Sent ones see life change happen in the spaces we're sent to. That's what happens, man. Life change. Man, it's good stuff. Lives are changed. When sent ones are obedient and operate under the leading of the Holy Spirit, sharing the story Connecting as God makes the connections happen. Dealing with opposition. Trusting in the power of God to overcome any spiritual barrier or hindrance. And lives are changed. Good story, right? Isn't that awesome? And this is just the beginning. Can you imagine Saul, Paul, and Barnabas? They're like, man, look at us. This is a great start. What's next? Oh, the stories. Oh, the places you'll go and the things that you'll see. And that's a little tease for next week and the weeks ahead. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing to see what the Lord does. But lives are changed. Lives are changed. Hey, as we wrap this up, I want to give you, I want to throw up on the screen one verse at the end. It's verse 13. And it's, again, a little bit of a tease for next week. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos. And came to Perga. So, Perga's next. And, and we'll start dealing with that next week. Interesting little note here, alright? John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, you remember John is not just John, he's John Mark, right? That we know as Mark, the author of the gospel. Now, we don't have any explanation of why John left, do we? You know, you, you read later in the story, actually in, in chapter, towards the end of chapter 15 of Acts. When it was time for Paul and Barnabas to get ready for their next 
their second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, hey, hey, Paul, check it out. No, we're putting together the team for missionary journey two, back and better than ever. One of the times the sequel was as good as the original. So he says, hey, we're about to, uh, we're about to do this. How about I, how about I holler at uh, John Mark and he'll come along with us? And Paul said, not on your life. That's a hard no, Barney. Not going to do it. And Barnabas said, no, he's a good kid. But, but, but we're told in that, in that story in Acts chapter 15 that Paul said, no, I don't want anybody on my team who might abandon us. So whatever it was that made Mark, John Mark, leave and return to Jerusalem, Paul took it as an abandonment. So to one degree or another, it got too hard. And Mark said, man, maybe this missionary journey thing is not for me. Maybe I should go back to Jerusalem and write a gospel or something. I don't know. And he left them. And Paul didn't like it. And Paul was abandoned by him. Paul felt like he bailed. That disagreement between Paul and Barnabas actually broke up the band. So John Mark is kind of like Yoko Ono. So... You saw it coming, didn't you? He started laughing before I even got to the punchline. But anyway, so, so Barnabas believed in John Mark so much. And Paul said, you, you believe in him so much, you get him and you go on your own missionary journey. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. It's a sad thing that the band broke up. But God used it to actually double the, you know, the influence and the spread of the gospel. So now you got two all-star teams going out. Paul picked up an old boy named Silas. Had some great adventures with him. And they go out and the, and the gospel spreads, right? So, but it's a bummer, right? That John Mark has this, this, this kind of like black mark by his name. He was, and he was in the first team, the first ever mission trip. And, and he saw amazing things and it was a success. Good stuff happened, but he bailed. John Mark, why, why would you bail, dude? Hang in there, man. Could have changed the whole trajectory of your life. Here's the reason I bring that up. It's because I think there are times in our lives that we have these dark chapters of our life. Where we, go, we start going through something and we, go, and we start realizing how much was lost. How much potential we had. How many chances we had to, to experience important things. Thing, maybe to do important things. Maybe, maybe we were right on the cusp of something great in our lives and we, and we pulled the ripcord just a little too early and we bailed out. And it becomes this thing that haunts us, right? And, and, and we're like, doggone it, what if I had done that? Or what if I hadn't done that? One mistake, one bad move, change everything. One little compromise snowballs into a an addiction that changes our lives forever and the lives of people we care about. One little no, and we should have said yes. Or one yes, when we should have said no. And we just end up saying, what happened? Where, look at me. I missed out. I missed out. I'm John Mark. I was on the team, and I, and I walked away. Or I was pulled away. 
It's a hard thing to deal with. And I'm sorry to bring up stuff that may be swirling around in your mind that are triggering memories that are kind of like, uh, I'm trying to forget about that or I'm trying to distance myself from that. But let's just be honest about the regrets that we have. And let's be honest about saying, I wish it hadn't played out this way. Maybe it wasn't even something we did. Maybe it was stuff done to us. And we responded incorrectly. We got unhealthier the, the more we held on to it. A bitterness, uh, I'm sorry, a hurt that became a bitterness. And now we're sitting here going, what? Where's my life? Compared to where it was just a little while ago. In the hopes I had. In the opportunities. You see, John Mark, on that sentence, is an abandoner. Is that a word? He's an abandoned kind of person can't be trusted blew a great opportunity probably getting what he deserves he'll never get back in I mean maybe he'll be okay but he'll never be what he could have been if he hadn't messed up so bad this is John Mark's identity this is John Mark's label that's the names for John Mark when you read when you read that verse some of us are carrying around those kind of names and labels and we're saying life choices bad breaks whatever has put me in a place where I'll never it'll never be the same it'll never be what it could have been trust me I know what that feels like and I know that some of those whispers still come to me at night. And they still try to get in there and say, you blew it, man. Blew it. I'm here to tell you today that if you're a sent one, if you're a Christ follower, and, I, and the way we say it, we'll skip to that, that slide that says, for sent ones... It's never too late. It's never too late. And you may think there is, it is literally impossible for what's lost to, to be regained. What's broken to be restored. And I get it. And I know, and there's stuff in my life I, don't, I still don't know if, if it'll all be put back together. But here's what I know is that God, for, for His children, for His daughters... And for his sons, it's never too late. It's not over. Your story is not over. And the chapter that you're in, or maybe that you've been in, dark as it may be, it's not over. It's not too late. Because just to tell you something that happened near the end of the Apostle Paul's life. He's writing the book of what we now know as 2 Timothy. And he gets to chapter 4 and he says, Luke alone is with me. It's kind of, sorry. It's kind of emotional for me. He says, get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. 
I don't know what Mark did between bailing off of Cyprus and Paul asking him to come to Rome. But I know what he didn't do. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. And he didn't he, he didn't choose that name that had been given to him back at Cyprus. The name of abandoner. The name of idiot. Stupid decision. The name of getting what he deserved. The name of serves him right. The name of never be the same. It'll never get fixed. It'll never be better. It'll never... It'll never happen. He didn't stick with those names. And then he was given by the greatest, what, what turned out to be the greatest Christian ever walked on the earth. He, got a, he was given a name useful. He was given a name useful. And he went around talking to the original disciples. And he said, I'm going to write down this account. And his, his story that he wrote, that he wrote down all the stories, is in, our, is in our gospel right now, the gospel of Mark. It is not too late. We are all John Mark. You know what I mean? We're all John Mark. We're all him. We all want to be the hero, but we've all played the idiot before. And in this moment, I'm asking you to believe that it's not over for you. Jesus told the story about how, how he can be likened to a shepherd who has sheep in his flock, in his fold, so to speak, sheepfold. And, uh, and that one of them wanders off and he leaves them, he leaves the 99 and he goes to find that one that wandered off. And when he finds him, he puts, his, uh, he puts that wayward sheep on his shoulders, brings him back to the fold. And there's a party. He doesn't come back. He doesn't carry this and say, all right, friends, look at my idiot sheep that didn't know me any better than to wander off. And I had to waste my time to go get him. And now he's back. What did he do? He doesn't approach it that way. He says, he rejoices joy in his heart, the shepherd, Jesus. My lost sheep has been found. Stuff that was lost that we thought we'd never experience again. Jesus takes great joy in stirring and bringing all that stuff back to life. We're the sheep and he's bringing us back to the fold and the angels are rejoicing and throwing a party in the halls of heaven. And we're about to sing a song to close our service. And my prayer is that we will. In fact, do you mind standing with me so we can just close? And, I, you know, my prayer is that we can, uh, we can sing this song. And we can see ourselves in it. In the story of the lost sheep. And the, uh, this is actually a brand new song we're introducing today. Never, never sang it here before. Real simple little thing. And uh, it invites you to, to be amazed. It invites you to have a moment of wonder. A moment of being emotionally, mentally, spiritually blown away by how good God is. 
And the chorus says, Oh, the love that sought me. All us John Marks, right? You know? Oh, the love that sought us. Oh, the blood that bought us. Oh, the grace that brought us into the fold. Oh, the grace that brought us into the fold. So, that's my. I hope in this moment that you will return to God with a full heart. That you will yield your life to God. That you will experience the Lord in these moments of singing. And say, Lord, I want to come home today. What better day, right? Let's come home, man. Let's just live lives as sent ones. With that, with that image burned in our minds of how God fought, found us and brought us back. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for speaking to us in our times of worship and music. We thank you for receiving our prayers and our offerings as worship. We thank you for, for hearing your word and the stories that we've told today. Father, send us into our week. Send us, Lord, into our worlds. And in these moments of singing this song, pray that you would just let us celebrate and worship you for, for bringing us as John Mark back into your fold. In Jesus' name, amen.